if the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Welcome to a state sale, everyone. I'm Lori Lattimore-Volkman. And I'm Brad Rayleigh. And today, for the first time since we began this podcast, and the first time in the last four years, we can actually say that there's hope for our democracy because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been elected to run this country. Hallelujah. <laughs> Agreed. Mom, I used freaking just for you. <laughs> and, and, and for the record, I want to say that I'm disappointed in that decision. But- <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's, I, I felt like I saw a lot of memes on, on Twitter all the way through the week and, and Facebook and everything else. And one of them was, um, you know, I feel like I haven't fully exhaled or breathed in, in four years. I haven't had a good night's sleep in four years. It feels like I have, um, felt a sense of agitation for four years and not to say that, that now, you know, the skies opened up and everything's perfect and we're, you know, cause we know there are problems ahead, but just the fact of this guy not being 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 repudiated by more people than 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 viewer and actually knowing that we're going to have some semblance of sanity that we're going to have you know as we saw last night when he got up there and when Kamala got up there we had complete sentences we didn't have lies we had uh, genuine expressions of support for everybody. Uh, we didn't get, you know, demonizing the other side. I mean, it was it was actually a real breath of fresh air, and I, I have to say, I'm I'm enjoying that very much. It was so refreshing. You know, you knew you had somebody up there who was taking the job seriously. I mean, he's taking the job seriously already, and he's not even official. You can take a deep breath knowing that whatever happens with congress and the senate and all of the hard work and fights we have ahead we have someone in charge who is smart who is competent who will put smart and competent people in positions of power and decision making and we can have confidence that there will be a lot of thought put into what we do as a country and it will be in an effort to do it for everyone, not just some conspiracy theory laden base that's out there. Right, right. Reiterating the, I'm the president of everybody, which I we talked about in the last podcast. I mean, I think that has to matter. And and when you have on the other side somebody who clearly was trying to figure out, he has always seen the world in in very binary terms. You're either for him or you're against him. And if you're for him. Uh, he'll tolerate you until you he can't use you anymore. And if you're against if, if if you're against him, he's going to actually try to harm you. I mean, really, and that that is destructive. Lisa was in tears last night watching Kamala speak. You know, and and I think the weight of how important that is to have a a woman vice president for the first time, and and to our shame that it's taken us this long. Um, to have a woman of an immigrant background, a woman with Indian heritage, with black heritage. I am very excited about that, about damn time. So, Lori, what was your, uh, if, if you don't mind, I'm kind of curious your uh, journey from Tuesday evening to, to yesterday. 
I have been thinking about this election like a football game the whole time, just because my reactions have been very similar, which is extremely nervous <laughs> and, and doing everything I can as a, as a fan of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, democracy, confidence in the White House, all that, doing everything I could to cheer them on and turn out the vote and get people to the polls and all the things that I had control over, but knowing you know, there's a lot I don't have control over. And so I knew Tuesday night we weren't going to know. And I knew that probably it was going to look better for Trump early and not as good for him as we start getting those mail-in votes. But as I have said on this podcast many times, I have always been worried <laughs> about the refs. I've always been worried about the ability for Trump to cheat and to make this the disaster he still tried to do. But I am thrilled, just thrilled beyond belief how so much hard work and organizing by Democrats all over the country, by particular people in specific states, made it possible for Donald Trump to not be able mm. to manipulate the Electoral College to his benefit and made it possible for the voting process and the election process and the mail-in ballots to be legit, particularly in the battleground states like Pennsylvania and Georgia and Wisconsin and Michigan and all those places where Arizona. we knew it was going to be, yeah, Arizona, we knew it was going to be close. We knew the whole thing was going to depend upon getting Democrats out to vote in order to get the numbers we needed to get the, the electoral college votes there. And they were doing it against insurmountable odds. You know, every turn two weeks before the election, the Republicans were doing all these things in Pennsylvania to not count the ballots, to not allow mail-in votes, to like, every, everything we knew they were going to try, they were doing. But they weren't successful. And I think that I just, from Tuesday night through Thursday, I was just holding my breath that, that, that wasn't, their tactic wasn't going to work. And that our tactic of just getting people to vote was going to work. And in the end, democracy won, America won. And I was just so relieved, honestly. <laughs> and it yeah. wasn't until yesterday when it was completely official and the networks all called in. And I wasn't waiting. I knew he had won because I was paying attention to people who were really digging into the math and knew that the you know the counties left to be counted were going to be a three to one favor for biden that mathematically trump couldn't make up the difference all those all those things where you know it's going to be okay but until it's actually official until the clock is zero and there's no flags on the field i wasn't gonna to celebrate <laughs> so yesterday morning at whatever 10 a.m eastern whatever time it was then i was like <sighs> okay <laughs> yeah. All the things we knew were actually happening happened and it's real and all the whining and press conferences outside landscaping businesses aren't going to matter. <laughs> we're going to win this. We've got the White House. We did it. Immediately, uh, Rick Santorum was on CNN. Um, why he still has a platform uh, White Newt Gingrich is allowed to go out in public without a bag over his head. I'll never <laughs> understand. Um, you know, and Santorum's out there saying, 
now the message is Democrats need to listen to uh, Republicans and reach across the aisle. And, and Lisa and I looked at each other and said, that's exactly what they said four years ago. They didn't switch them. It wasn't like they said to Republicans, now you need to listen to Democrats because you won, and they, but there's a whole bunch of people that voted and, and aren't happy. They said exactly what they're saying now. They said it was incumbent on Democrats to reach out to Republicans and find why they voted for an orange fuck. And now they're saying, now that you won, you need to reach out to these people who voted for the racist orange fuck. I saw that tweet. I did retweet it. And I said, hey, if you guys want to apologize for being racist, lying conspiracy theorists, fine. I'll listen to that. But anything else? No way. (laughs) You, You get in line. Get in line behind the adults while we show you how to run government. Because what we've been doing the last four years has been insane. Our friend Colleen uh, is is really thinking that we need to at least have some dialogue with people on the other side. And I think it's actually not an unreasonable thing, but here's the thing. Uh, it needs to be uh, with, with strong uh, guardrails and boundaries set. It reminds me of what my dad used to say. He would say, you know, there are two sides to every story. And I remember as I was in, in you know, working at through as an adult, I was like, that's not completely true. You know, there are not two sides to whether we landed on the moon. There are not two sides to whether the Holocaust occurred, you know. Um, right. There aren't two sides to facts of things that happened. There are two sides to, right. was it a good idea to spend all that money to go to the moon right. or not? Like, you, that's something you can debate, and there are two right. sides to. But whether mm-hmm. they did or not is not debatable at all. You can debate the, the causes and origins and impacts of the, of the Holocaust all you want. But if you have anybody who's saying it didn't happen, they need, yeah. they need to be, you know. And so to, to transfer that to today, I'm more than willing to have a conversation with people if they really want to talk about systemic racism. If they want to talk about the best ways to tackle climate change and how to deal with COVID, let's have a conversation. But if they're going to tell me that COVID isn't serious or that climate change isn't happening or that systemic racism is a myth uh, or Marxism or some bullshit like that, they can, just, they can just step off. I have zero interest in having a conversation with them. Yeah. Also, I would like to add, Democrats have reached across the aisle. I actually think sometimes our problem is that we're too deferential and we think this time the Republicans will play fair right. and they never play fair. And yeah. I'm not saying that we don't play fair. I, we absolutely play fair, but we don't worry whether they're coming with us or not. Yeah. <laughs> like we play fair and we play by our agenda, which is right. the one we believe is the right way to go. Not the agenda that says we have to compromise too much just to bring them on board. Yeah. Agreed. I'm going to say something a little shocking for our podcast. I'm also going to credit some Republicans, by the way. None of them are in the Senate, even Mitt Romney with his milk toast, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> comments. But actually at the state level in places like Arizona and Michigan, it's a county clerk who was in charge of, of the elections in that county. And she was a Republican. And uh, it was the county that actually the Republicans were spreading a rumor that there was some, you know, nefarious ballots found or destroyed or something like that. And she got up and said, I'm a Republican. I'm in charge of running this. And this is, I did everything I could to make this a fair and upfront and transparent election. And what you just said was wrong. And it was a lie. Whoever's in charge of elections in Arizona was also kind of saying, you know what? I'm a little tired of this. We've ran one of the most transparent and fair elections and a lot of that i agree with you completely comes from the pressure from democrats pushing on that on that transparency but 
one of the things I don't think Trump and his people recognize is that there's a lot of Republicans who you and I would not agree with at all. And probably many of them would vote for Trump, oddly enough, but that they are actually serious about their job and they take it, you know, they're not, they're not just in there to, to be crooks. And so he just is so willing to throw anybody under the bus uh, that it, it doesn't even matter. I mean, we know that he was willing to get his own supporters sick and allow them to die and did. Um, so he doesn't care about them whatsoever. But I, I just want to give a shout out to those county clerks and secretaries of state and uh, even even some of the Republicans in Pennsylvania who just sort of pretty early on said, you know what, we're not doing that bullshit elector thing that you've been floating. Uh, and yeah. And so a little credit there for them. And I, and I, you know, that's, that may, may be as, as good as I get in terms of reaching out to Republicans right now, but, but there it is. I think we need to distinguish between reaching out to Republicans and reaching out to alt-right conservative conspiracy theorists. I mean, sadly, a big part of the party has been that group. They're at least the loudest. They are the base. They're the Trump base. Yes. But there are plenty of Republicans who now hopefully when faced with a reasonable president and just the opportunity to see democracy work the way it's supposed to and not this, you know, constant demonizing and trying to create chaos in order to get your own personal vendettas in as well as your own personal gains. You know, I mean, I think when we, when they start to see it work again, the way it's supposed to, they may disagree, but hopefully they step away from the cliff that is, I don't know, crazy town. I mean, in the last two days, we've had record high coronavirus cases in the country. His chief of staff and Matt Gates, a you know, total Trump loyalist from Florida, two people who've been dismissing the use of masks and dismissing Fauci and all those things also came down with coronavirus. It's like, again, the perfect metaphor for a guy who would just ignore, denounce all of the, the facts going on around us. 120,000 coronavirus cases don't lie. <laughs> yeah. 1,200 deaths don't lie. Yeah. This is serious, and now we finally have someone in the job who will take it seriously. Well, and you notice that one of the first things that, that Biden, not only we know he's been working on the transition plan for a while, but he announced yesterday that he's already he's going to announce a coronavirus task force. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that is not only good policy, that's going to be good for the stock market. That's going to be good for uh, our international relations. It might be interesting to see how much he can actually change just the perspective on our political policy and, and addressing uh, COVID before he's even inaugurated, just by simply doing some of these things and taking that opportunity to recognize that he can have experts out there talking about ways to do this. Because at the end of the day, when he's elected, when he's inaugurated in January, he's not going to have the power to simply step into the states and force them to, to, to enact policies. I mean, that, that is the federalist system and one that I support. But as we've talked about from the beginning, having a president who takes it seriously, who uses the bully pul pulpit to urge this kind of uh, science-based uh, responses can have an effect. And uh, we will see, but that might be a really good start because I have to think that there's an awful lot of governors in red states 
who are looking at those numbers uh, terrified. And they've been, you know, they've been afraid to, to speak out. I mean, they're not all the lieutenant gov- governor of, of Idaho driving around in a, <laughs> in a pickup truck with her Bible and her gun in her hand with an American flag draped over it. And many of them are. Don't get me wrong. There are some really, really stupid leaders in these states. That's what they've done. But I have to think there are some of them who are taking their job relatively seriously and looking at those cases and going, holy shit, we're in trouble, who will take some advice from from this income uh, incoming president i hope but anyway it was a great i thought that was a, a masterful uh, first thing that was the priority first thing we're establishing a, a task force on corona which is exactly what should happen you know one of the things biden has said he's going to do when he is first in office is rejoin the paris climate accords and paris tweeted welcome back america <laughs> Oh, see, already, like already the rest of the world recognizes there is hope for our nation. (laughs) I mean, we obviously know that the same kind of Trumpist kind of ideology that is a problem here in America is a problem in Europe. Uh, Certainly we've seen it in in Great Britain. But, you know, I don't know how many tweets and posts I saw from people who live overseas or are friends overseas. I don't think there's ever been an election watched more closely globally that I can remember. I mean, 2016 was probably close to it. And certainly the Brexit vote was one that everybody was watching. But now having experienced Trump for four years uh, in Germany, you know, there were people saying they they see him as the new Hitler. And so they were thrilled to see uh, to see sanity kind of uh, regained here. Immediately, our, our stock goes up foreign policy wise. Uh, last year, when Lisa and I were in Montreal for Folk Alliance, we met an attorney from Canada and we were chatting uh, we were talking about Trump and she said, you know, we'll, we'll forgive you guys that one because we understand these things happen. But boy, if you reelect him, um, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about that the whole time since since that and how much that harmed our our standing and, and much of that harm is going to go on. It's going to take a, it's going to take time, uh, even foreign policy wise for for somebody like Biden. Uh, although I think he's the perfect one for that, by the way. I don't think actually of anybody we had on that stage when we had the Democratic primary going, I think Biden is absolutely the perfect one on foreign policy. Maybe Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> just because he could speak all their languages. <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. But, but no, Pete's I gonna, absolutely Pete's going to be involved. Uh, I know. Oh, I, yeah, this is what sure. I was saying at the beginning. When I first was realizing that Biden was likely to win, like, Wednesday morning. So it was still a little tentative. We still really weren't sure that we're getting that from Pennsylvania and certainly not Georgia. I was sort of in this like, ah, we're going to lose the Senate. So what, you know, what are we going to get done if we, we have the house, but we don't have the Senate. It's just going to be gridlock for four years. That's still a concern. We can, we'll talk about that in another podcast. Today is all to celebrate. But what I came around to remembering and realizing was (laughs) we, we have a president who will now put people in positions where we can really get a lot of things done and make headway regardless of our Senate. Have a Secretary of State. We will have a Secretary of Defense who's not going to piss everybody off around the world. Probably won't piss our military off quite so often either. And we will have an Education Secretary who can spell and do math. We will have a Chief of Staff that like understands how to run the White House and what that job entails. We will have a press secretary who doesn't freaking lie. I mean, there's so, we won't have Stephen Miller, the alien demon that is in there doing all kinds of crazy things to immigrants. I mean, we will finally have a White House that actually gets how to do government. I think it will also be a much more progressive group 
than we could have imagined even four years ago. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, one of the things we saw in the last two years with with the the uh, Democrats taking the House is that you really do see how much damage or good a president can do, even if he, if, even if he can't really push forward legislation, right. you know, cause I mean, Trump's most of his, uh, most, I mean, outside the judges and that's, that's uh, obviously a problem, but everything else, he, you know, he couldn't do anything more with taxes. He couldn't do any more, any more uh, legislative policy wise. It all had to be through executive orders. And we saw the damage he could do in two years, even without having uh, one of the, the houses. And so I have to think that, you know, you just reverse that, put somebody in there who actually is willing to address those executive orders and really do some positive stuff. And I, I agree with you completely. You know, it's a great sign. I also think, by the way, that one of the things moving forward, and I'm really happy about this, we can talk at a later time about the issues with Venezuelan and Cuban voters in, in Florida. Several people have said, you know, moving forward, uh, I think we're going to see a whole new bunch of swing states emerge that, you know, that we saw this week. I mean, Georgia with their urban centers, a massive urban center of Atlanta, and then Arizona, that that was not one that had you told me four years ago that we'd really be talking about making inroads in Arizona. You know, you really do see a different map take place. And several people pointed out that Texas was closer than Ohio or Iowa and has more electoral votes than those combined. Uh, so I think it's time for Democrats to really focus on, on Texas and these other areas. And I'm hoping that that's one of the things, all of the hard work on that, on the kind of ground level. And that's actually one of the criticism. I know we're not talking criticisms that so much today, but, but, you know, I think one of the things that under the Obama administration, partly as you talked about in the last time, he was so focused on a couple of different things, you're resurrecting the economy and then healthcare that there were things that he didn't focus on. And one of them was really not that kind of grassroots building at the state and local level. And I'm really hoping that Stacey is going to be leading that. I hope that's something that, that Biden takes very seriously and whoever runs the DNC moving forward, because the rural urban divide is, is not going away. And we clearly see that, but there's so much hope there in terms of these areas that we had not considered. There was one other thing I saw this morning, by the way, it was a, it was a map of Mississippi and it said, uh, you know, your view of Mississippi is it's all red. And then she actually put up there, which, uh, counties went blue and there were a lot of them. Um, and you know, so it's, it's one of the things I think that, uh, we may have actually written off a lot of Southern states, uh, and not devoted energy there and effort and resources there because we just assumed it was going to be red and what we've done. As, as my wife has been really stressing this week, we have really enabled the kind of new Jim Crow uh, white supremacy in those areas that have depressed and suppressed uh, the, the vote there. And so I'm really hoping. Uh, so Stacey Abrams is, is to me one of the, as I think with everybody, one of the stars of this week. And, um, and I'm hoping that that leads into more of the same. Right. And we're, it's going to need to. One of the places we really did lose was in state legislatures, and that's where all that gerrymandering really starts. And so yep. we're going to have to fix that moving forward. But again, that, that can be a, a right. dark conversation for another day. Right. <laughs> another uh, shout out, if you will, is to the news media that for the most part, other than taking too damn long to call it, did a remarkable job handling Trump on election day and the days after. Every headline I saw from the New York Times, the Washington Post would always say his baseless claims, his false claims, yep. unsupported claims of fraud. And they said that in the headlines, they didn't just say Trump right. claims fraud. 
they said he falsely claims fraud, you know, and I was just relieved because he still, he still filled an information void for several days while the media was not calling the election. And I think I could defend them a little bit. I feel like they waited way too long. When you look back at history at how quickly they have called other races. I would say we have never had an election like this that depended so much on the mail-in ballots. And I think everyone wanted to be cautious to not have a surprise that somehow 300,000 ballots were found. I get it. I Again, they could have done it a day ahead and they would have been just fine. When he went out on Wednesday, threw out his claims of fraud and that he won the election, he was claiming victory, they cut away, you know? It's like, okay, you crazy man, Stockton, let's, yeah. go, let's go to the studio. And the New York Post had a headline yeah. that called Faceless Claims. New York Post of Biden laptop fame. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, we shouldn't give too much credit to that. Uh, with the news media, I agree with your analysis. Of course, you know it better than I do. Some of these other people like the New York Post and, and uh, even the Wall Street Journal. But, you know, uh, there's a little bit of a, a rat spleen, a sinking ship, uh, you know, recognizing, seeing the writing on the wall and wanting to distance themselves uh, from him. But I'll take it. You know, I'm not. Uh, but I oh, agree. Yeah. With you. I, I thought I thought the media did a really good job of just simply not. And even Fox, by the way. Uh, I know, Fox News, yeah. not Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're News like, let me jump on the sinking ship even harder. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. weights. I'm bringing weights with me. Fox News, actually, I came here who it was, kept repeating that there were no, uh, there was no evidence of, of widespread fraud. You know, yeah. they kept saying that. I'll take it, by the way, that I kept forgetting. Uh, I credit my wife here. Lisa is the one who reminded me on Tuesday night about the Red Barrage which everybody had talked about with the, the mail-in votes that those uh, election day was going to look really much better for, for Trump than it, than it was uh, by the end of the week. I, I think my grief on Tuesday night was uh, I had still, I was much more optimistic than you and you were much more realistic. Uh, I was hoping for more of a repudiation of Trump. And so Tuesday, that was clear. By the end of Tuesday, even though it wasn't clear what was going to happen, we knew that wasn't going to happen. But, you know, by the time you get to the end of the week and you look at what happened, yeah, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't what we wanted, but it was actually better, much better uh, as of Sunday after the election than I was thinking on Tuesday evening. You know, oh, inroads sure, into Georgia, sure. Arizona, uh, Texas, those are, those are good. Uh, the, the fact that we have two, and we'll talk about those races coming up, but, you know, the fact that we have two chances in Georgia, a state that is clearly uh, um, a battleground state now and, and one on the edge um, makes a, a competitive. And so, you know, there's a lot of positives from there. And, and then again, you know, the first woman vice president, um, about damn time as an, as a middle-aged to, to older white male, I'm, I'm done with white men being in charge. So I'm perfectly <laughs> happy. To Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. I would like to point out once again, the polls, polling data were crap. <laughs> Biden's up by this many points. He's up by this many points. He's going to win by a landslide. I never believed it for a second. And I clearly there's still some work to be done, you know, to figure out why our polling is so bad. But like, I'm not surprised. And I, I actually don't think it's as, as difficult an answer as maybe the pollsters think. <laughs> but um, I'll be happy to tell them why at another time. Like you said, if you know, today, it looks a lot better than it was looking Tuesday night. Tuesday night was not looking good. And it was looking worse than I had thought. Even though you knew in the back of your head, don't let don't let this 
be the narrative because it we know it's not going to be the narrative. We know it's going to be a couple more days before we really understand the full picture. But we still have 45% of America, whatever it is, that was okay with this guy. You know, we, we still have a huge problem in America and there's no fraud. We have people stepping up doing the right thing. Even in spite of that, Trump is still igniting his base into thinking that Biden stole this election, thinking that this next four years is illegitimate. And so we're still going to have a huge fight to get past that, or at least keep them from gaining even more power in those rural areas where, where it's so easy to pull the wool over people's eyes and, and tell them what you think is happening isn't happening. And let me tell you what's happening. And all the Democrats are socialists and the world is going to hell and all that, all that nonsense. It didn't win out in the election, but it's still winning out in some parts of America that are going to be problematic. Like as a democracy, we can't ignore that big issue and a big problem that we have to take seriously. But in the meantime, I think this election, it's complete vindication for all of the hard work Democrats began doing the minute Trump got elected. You know, we woke up November 8, 2016, whatever that day was, in shock, in horror, thinking, you know, he would do indestructible damage. And we weren't wrong, you know, like he has done, hopefully it's not indestructible. I mean, now we've turned it around to put somebody else in there so that we have, we have some time to try and, and fix it and put this country back on track. Trump used to, likes to say he was given a bare cabinet, which is bullshit, but Biden and Kamala totally have a bare cabinet. They have ruined so much trust in government. They've ruined trust in the intelligence community. They've ruined just trust in our institutions and our democracy. And that's going to take a lot of time to build up. But on the good side, all the people who fought for it are energized. And I, you know, I include myself. I was a pretty complacent Democrat <laughs> prior to 2016. I paid attention, but I wasn't active. And, and I won't stop being active now. Absolute favorite tweet that I saw yesterday was, so let's try to not do this again, okay? <laughs> yes, please, let's not do that again. <laughs> that was terrible. That little experiment, bad. Let's, yes. let's move on. I agree completely. I think that a perfect, perfect take on this week, I think. And I think it's a good place to end. Yeah, Maybe me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. I have a lot of good F words in there for your mom, so I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're not. They're not for, and they're certainly not aimed at Bonnie. So yeah, yeah. Make sure you don't put that part in there. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. all right. <laughs> but we need to have a few because as Kevin Cohn somehow remembered, <laughs> I didn't even know he was looking at my posts. I have yeah. promised not to use any bad words anymore because Joe Biden yeah. is-, is and, I, and I have to say, I never, I never heard any of that or remember any of that. That's and right. I, will sign, I don't I will know sign what you're talking about. This is as how your, it goes, as, right? <laughs> as your legal representative, I'm willing to defend you in court against Kevin. In fact, I look forward to it. <laughs> also, the beauty of Facebook is I can go in and edit. So unless he took a screenshot, <laughs> nobody's going to know. <laughs>
Exactly. <laughs>